Yeah. I mean, just an insatiable desire to learn and learning by talking to people in the industry, learning by reading, learning by doing, learning by observing, learning by exploring, and just continuing to try to fit the pieces together. It's amazing what you can do and what you can learn if you attempt to do and learn every single day and you stack those little wins on top of one another. It really does amount to so much you know, at the end of a year, like the compounding effect of that focus is just so powerful. And so it was really just like a commitment to figuring it out and doing the work and being vulnerable and acknowledging what we don't know, trying to figure out what we don't know. Yeah, I would say that was sort of our approach. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm so excited for my long-awaited interview with Ashley Thompson, who is the founder and CEO of Mush, which is one of my favorite brands. So welcome to the podcast, Ashley. I'm super excited to have you, and I've been following you for a long time, so I can't wait to get into it. Thank you so much, Christy. I sincerely appreciate the opportunity and your patience with me. (laughs) So exciting. Well, you have so many exciting things going on. So first, why don't you... Just tell our listeners a little bit about the brand and your background, and then we'll get into sort of where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. So for those who don't know much or have never had the opportunity to try it, we manufacture and sell a ready-to-eat overnight oats product. comes in a variety of flavors. And you can kind of think of it like the function of cereal in the format of yogurt. So we sell the oats in these little cups usually in the yogurt set next to plant-based items because we're plant-based as well. And it's just a great, delicious, satiating, energizing snack, breakfast, pre-post-workout, even dessert. We've got some really great flavors like peanut butter and dark chocolate that really lend themselves well to that indulgent time of day. And we've been on an incredible journey for the last almost seven years now, you know, building and scaling this business from quite literally ground zero. And it's been such an incredible experience to date. So seven years, first of all, congratulations, because that's incredible. You've overcome some pretty major milestones as far as founding and growing a business. What made you decide to do this? What were you doing before? What made you think this was what you wanted to be doing going forward? Yeah. So out of college, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do, but I had sort of a couple goals in mind. One of them was to be financially independent from my family. And the other was to be in an environment where I could learn and grow and really compete. I've always been a competitor. And so I found myself naturally in the finance industry in New York on a trading floor on Wall Street. And it enabled just that. Like I had accomplished all of those goals. And, you know, a couple years into the experience, I really started to think about 
what truly motivates me and what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing other than, you know, gaining financial independence and competing? And I really took myself back to my early childhood, how I grew up and sort of recognized, acknowledged my inner desire to become an entrepreneur, to really create value. I didn't necessarily find fulfillment in the sort of zero sum game that is Wall Street, where, you know, someone's gains might be someone else's losses and just a lot of transacting versus creating a ton of value. Like I had seen my dad do growing up, he was an entrepreneur and I just saw how powerful that is both from an economic perspective, but then also from an impact perspective, people, family, etc. Like he just did so much good by taking risk and starting a company. So I had that in the back of my head. And then as well, I had my passion in the back of my head, which was wellness, that the concept of having the mental and physical capability to live the life that you prefer. And I think I looked around and saw that that was really stripped from a lot of people, even people with resources, like on the trading floor, people who were could pay for anything, but still were unwell. And I couldn't believe it. And that quality of life I knew, you know, wasn't the best. And I thought how like, it's a problem for people on Wall Street. It's also a problem for people who don't have resources. And I think it's one of the most important aspects of life, living a healthy and happy life. I think there's a lot of good that can come from that. It has, you know, exponential sort of impact in a positive way. And so I thought about how do I do something in wellness? And how do I create? And that's when I started thinking about the food industry. I'm a big believer that what you eat impacts how you feel, think, and do. Sort of a first principles approach to like how do we tackle a major problem or, or physical and mental health in the US. So thought about the food industry and thought about, you know, just what's one product I could come up with that would give people a better option than what's out there. And at the time I was running a lot, an avid runner, again, back to health and wellness, big believer in it and the, the connection between the physical and the mental. So I was an avid runner and I was eating a lot of oatmeal at the time, but the options on the shelves were so antiquated. I mean, Quaker, what a beautiful and amazing and a big brand, but it hasn't been touched in 50 years. And then the cereal aisle too, like grains are healthy, they're satiating, but the way we package them up is so unhealthy. And so I just saw this like glaringly obvious white space to get in there and try to affect change in a positive way. And just started with one product and it was ready to eat overnight oats. So I got this idea in my head. I had been making overnight oats at the time myself. And this was pre-Pinterest days before they became super popular. And like within a couple months, quit my job. And yeah, it was like a burst of energy and courage. And I thought, if I don't do it now, I might lose both. (laughs) So I'm going to quit my job. And I moved to Southern California for a number of reasons. The first of which is the weather is amazing. And I thought it would be a great place to build a business. And the second, you know, people and culture in Southern California are so in tune with wellness and really early adopters of new products. So thought it would be a great place. Moved to Southern California and started literally making and selling overnight oats out of a kitchen into farmers markets. So um, you started at farmers markets. That's really yeah. old school. 
so, so old school and one of the best learning experiences of my life. It was so humbling to go from sitting behind six screens on Wall Street in a beautiful, you know, high rise building to literally pitching a tent (laughs) basically four or five days a week and really like hand feeding and hand selling this product and getting like reactions right in front of me, like good, the bad, the ugly. And it was amazing. It also really informed the product. Like our initial product was dairy based and we knew immediately there's just absolutely not, that's not the right way to go. We have to be plant-based, but we have to make sure that we don't design it around being plant-based. We have to design just a really great tasting product with plant-based ingredients and hope that, you know, that works out. So yeah, incredible experience and have come a long way since. How did you figure out all the things you needed to figure out when you were coming from a finance background with, you know, your experience making your own food, but not manufacturing food for loads and loads of people and understanding ingredient panels and what things work together? How did you get to that place where you felt good about that? Yeah, I mean, just an insatiable desire to learn and learning by talking to people in the industry, learning by reading, learning by doing, learning by observing, learning by exploring, and just continuing to try to fit the pieces together. It's amazing what you can do and what you can learn if you attempt to do and learn every single day and you stack those little wins on top of one another. It really does amount to so much you know, at the end of a year, like the compounding effect of that focus is just so powerful. And so it was really just like a commitment to figuring it out and doing the work and being vulnerable and acknowledging what we don't know, trying to figure out what we don't know. Yeah, I would say that was sort of our approach. And I mean, it took a long time, like we didn't develop a product that could be commercialized, meaning it could be shipped out across the entire country with, you know, robust sales and marketing strategy for a year and a half. Like the product at the beginning had a seven day shelf life. And that's just not viable for it's not economically viable or logistically feasible to bring that product nationally in any meaningful way. And so, you know, a year and a half of figuring it out, ultimately, if you don't give up, you usually get there. (laughs) That's wild. That's a long time. So did you know at some point that you were going to be successful? Like, was there a point where you were like, okay, I know what it's going to take. And I feel confident that we're going to push through whatever the challenges are and build something. Like, how long was that? Was that the year and a half or was that different? (laughs) Yeah, I would say like, it was really challenging to try to figure out how to scale the product. I was never sure how we were going to do it. I just had this like unwavering faith that I was like, there's just no way it can't be done. Like, it's oatmeal. Like, I get that we haven't really done this before. But there's got to be a way to do this. Like, I couldn't wrap my head around how there couldn't be a way. That's amazing. Um, I mean, I think you need that in a way. Oh, yeah, you do. I mean, everything's about mindset, right? I've learned that 
so many times throughout this journey, like doubt and fear creep in every single day. And you have to block it out. You have to manage it. You have to tackle it because... And I know these are like, they're cliches, but they're so true. Like if you think you can, you really can. And if you think you can't, then you can't. It was like, I was naive. Like, of course there's a way. I don't care what anyone says. Like, there I don't has think to that's be naive. Way. I mean, I think that's how people get successful, right? If you want to look yeah. for reasons for something to fail, you will find them. Yes. And if you want to look for reasons for something to succeed, you will also find them. And that's all I did. Like, I never put my energy into why isn't this going to work? Like ever. And that's a learning because as you scale, sometimes you do need to think about like, where are the pitfalls in this strategy? Why isn't this going to work? But in the early days, I mean, like a maniacal focus on how do we make it work? How do we get it done? Which has been, in, you know, that's an evolution in mindset too. Yeah. So now tell me where you guys are now as a brand. Cause I mean, you've been around for a good amount of time. I mean, I see you everywhere. I feel like I see you everywhere. Well, how do you feel about where the business is compared to where you were and what's changed for you? Yeah. And shout out to the sales team, if that's how. And the marketing team, I'm sure there's a component of that as well. But I'm really proud of the progress we've made in the last, call it, 18 months. So where are we? We're still very much so a growing brand. And our growth has been tremendous. And also paced in ways too. I think there's a cap on how much you can grow in any given year when you're really creating a category because we are, there is no place for cold oatmeal in the grocery store. And it's not on people's grocery lists when they go grocery shopping. You know, they've got the normal things that they know about, but this is a, a pretty new concept. It's taking familiar ingredients and a familiar occasion in breakfast, but it's really packaging it up in a novel way. And so there's a learning component to this that has really shaped, I guess, our growth curve. But nonetheless, we've put in so much tremendous work and effort to get it to where it is. We've been doubling every year for the last several years. And I think that's a really, really healthy pace to grow at, at this size and stage of our business. And I think that's what we want to continue to do for the next couple of years, which is exciting because when you double, there's a lot of change. (laughs) Um, Especially as you get bigger, right? When you go from sort of big to even bigger. Exactly. Yeah. And as you get bigger, if you double, then there's a lot of change and it's bigger change, but it keeps things really exciting. It keeps everyone on their toes. I think it keeps people really engaged. Like when there isn't as much growth and there isn't as much to do, and it really is more about managing a stable business. I think there's a time and a place for that. And there are great people who love to do that. But for the folks who we've hired, like the more chaos, I think the better. It keeps everyone so sharp and engaged. At least that's what I've seen out of the team. And it's been just an awesome journey. So... How have you grown so much? Like, have you guys, I would assume you've raised capital at some point or several points? Yeah, yeah. Great question. So we grew pretty organically for the first couple of years from 2017 to, you know, roughly 2019, 2020-ish. We bootstrapped the business quite a bit. We got an investment from Mark Cuban on Shark Tank. It was a small investment though, $300,000. And that enabled us to buy our first 
piece of automated packaging equipment because we self-manufacture. So that was a huge unlock when it came to like scaling product. And I think that's like in the early days, you want to scale product enough such that you find product market fit in a material way. And then once you're able to do that, you then shift to focusing on scaling the team. And so in about 2019, that's when that shift from product to team came. And we raised some incremental capital to scale the team from the guys who started RX Bar. So Peter and Jared, and then their right hand, Sam, They've been such phenomenal investors and partners and quite frankly, like friends. They're incredible guys. So raised a little bit of capital from them to continue to scale not only the product, but really the people and the team. And then last year, we raised a little bit more capital to build out a much bigger facility. So we you know, went from product to people, then back to product, what we were doing in 2019 wasn't going to meet the demand that we were seeing. And so we invested significantly in a new facility in Salt Lake, building that out with both people, process and equipment. That was a huge undertaking for us. But thankfully, so successful and you know, with great timing that it came given all the supply chain challenges that people are up against, especially those who are outsourcing manufacturing and, and co-mans. Just so much demand as a result of people going from eating out to shifting back to buying groceries during COVID that really put pressure on the food and beverage, you know, CPG industry. And yeah, I think we made the right move to continue to invest in, in that aspect of the business. And so all in all, I would say like we actually haven't raised a ton of capital. I've for good, bad or indifferent have always been sort of old school in the idea that when you go into business, you need to make money in order for you to have like a long-term sustainable organization. I think that came from my father. Like He never was a believer in the mentality of grow at all costs. Like That's not, not the school of thought that he came from. And I think he instilled a little bit of that in me. And so I've probably manage the business pretty maniacally when it comes to (laughs) finances. And what that's afforded us is the ability to self-fund a lot of the way and then only fund pretty insignificant amounts to tackle other projects that maybe you know the business wouldn't be able to fund itself. So that's been our journey. I admire and respect those who are able to raise significant amounts of money and put it to good use and good work and create a lot of value out of it. We've just taken a little bit of a different approach and especially taking into account the fact that we're creating a category. I think some would say, you've got to raise a bunch of money and spend it. And I have a little bit of a different mentality on it. I think there is a natural organic curve to adoption for this product. And so just making sure that we're staying in touch and in lockstep with that natural growth curve has been my approach to building this this business. So yeah, that's been the journey so far. I'm sure you're feeling very good about that right now, given the current financial climate where the growth at all costs is not going to work for anybody going forward, at least not for a little bit of time until the sort of pendulum shifts back. Yes. And I'm glad you bring it up because I think 
we've killed ourselves trying to do it the way we've been doing it. And Mm -hmm. the team and myself were just so grateful that we have done it the way we have because of the environment we're in. You know, the last 10 years, it's been the gravy train with Uh money. It like almost overnight turned off. I know. And these poor founders who are really great people who have been sort of just not going against the grain, going with it, have had the light switch turn off overnight. And with not as much support as I think they could probably use during this time, but we're incredibly grateful. And I know the pendulum will swing back. It always does. That's life. But yeah, I think our strategy and our approach bodes well for the next like 18, 24, even 36. Definitely. Definitely. And you know, it, it really pushes brands. I mean, I feel for the founders too, because all of a sudden it stopped. It felt very sudden and people who were yeah. in the middle of building something that was based on things that they had seen being built. Yes. Probably we're really surprised, but it is still business in the end, right? So you have to have a great idea as an entrepreneur, but it's a business still and it has to get figured out as a business. Like I couldn't run my business if we lost money every single year. I just couldn't. Eventually it would be like, no more. We're done. Yeah. It so has to perform at some point. I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. I think it'll be a good forcing mechanism for people to just sort of clean things up that need to get cleaned up, you know, get rid of things that aren't really sustainable or make a ton of business sense. And even those who have been on that train, if they recognize the moment for what it is, they'll be able to figure it out. Definitely. Definitely. But I think it is interesting because it felt abrupt. I don't know if it really was abrupt, but it felt very abrupt. I think it was like... I think you could maybe see the writing on the wall. Like I have such great people around the table mentoring me. And I remember calling one of our investors in, I think it might've been January. And he just said like, look, either continue to run the business as you are, or if you want to shift in strategy, raise money now because this is going to get choppy. And yep. sure enough, like March, April, May, it was like, whoa, what is going on? <laughs> and that is abrupt. I mean, a couple of months yeah. in business, that's abrupt. So mm-hmm. so where are you guys now from a distribution perspective? Like how wide is your net at the moment? Yeah. So we have national distribution with a lot of the big iconic retailers in the United States. So, you know, Whole Foods is our bread and butter. They've been such a phenomenal partner to us, believed in us since the get-go. They were the first retailer to launch us in Southern California back in March of 2017. So forever grateful for that partnership and just love to see how it's continued to grow over the years. We're national in places like Target, We've got great distribution in Kroger. We work with Costco in a couple of regions and continue to expand with such an iconic retailer and such an important one, especially as inflation continues to creep in and folks start to trade down or start to really seek value in their purchases. So we're really grateful for that. The Costco affords us the opportunity to not only get new consumers to know about Mush, but make the product accessible from a price point perspective. And then like the traditional, more conventional grocery regional players, like a Wegmans by you, right? Yeah. I yes. think yeah. you know Wegmans. I uh, do. Publix in, in the Southeast. Yeah. So pretty much across the country, I think we're in over 11,000 doors now, which wow. is, you know, 
great distribution for a startup. And there's still just so much opportunity, so much low hanging fruit to really chew on. So I have a oh God, I have so many questions for you. One of the big ones that I'm thinking about and wondering about, and I'm sure other people are too, is innovation. So you guys have been very true to who you are. And I think shown incredible discipline, right? Because a lot of people Mm. innovate at the beginning because they think, well, I've got to do something new every single year or else. And you guys have done that from a flavor perspective. Absolutely. But you haven't done a lot of line extensions. Is that in the works or are you still like, this is what we're doing right now? Yeah. And you observe that so well and articulate it so well. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, like entrepreneurs have ideas. They like ideas. They like opportunity. Yes. They're very opportunistic people and they, they get excited by it. And so there is this urge in the beginning. Like you just like the world's your oyster and you can make anything and yes. it's going to be amazing. And I think I had that mentality in the beginning and was quickly humbled by how much time and energy and imagination it takes to just do one thing really well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it went from like wanting to like take over every set in the grocery store, like any ambitious entrepreneur would want in CPG to how do we make sure these five SKUs survive and we can scale them? And so we've had a ton of focus on our core product line. We continue to really focus on it both in terms of what's the assortment in packaging, what's the assortment from a flavor perspective, and then how do we continuously improve the taste, the texture, the macronutrient profile. And we're doing a lot of that great work right now, not only internally, but then how do we cascade it into the market from an external perspective. So that's really our focus for the next 18 months is taking all the great work we've done internally and cascading it into the market. Thereafter, that's when I think you might see some product line extensions, maybe even some dipping our toes into some new categories. But with the size of opportunity we have with this core product line, with the moves we need to make, with the organization we have and the resources we have, it really doesn't make sense to launch those things in the short term. I just think it would be a disservice to the opportunity, the people, the business, etc. So still, I'm sure people are like, you know, I've had a couple interviews and they're like, no innovation? What? I think um, it's amazing but, because you're building a business that's strong. And I, you yeah. don't have to innovate until you have to, right? Yeah. You still have yeah. all these markets to conquer, yeah. you know? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't have to and the growth is right in front of you, just why not do that? I think if you want to do more than that, you probably need a shift in strategy. You need more resources to do yeah. more. But I, I really like, I mean, I'm just enjoying the pace that we have, the journey that we're on. I think we're on the right track to, to your point, build like a great foundation for a business. And you hear the term all the time, like profit from the core. And it's so true. The core is your bread and butter. Make sure you get it right so that you can really scale it and see the maximum impact you can have. I think that's really, really good for people to hear because I think the temptation to do other things is always there. And you're right. An entrepreneur has the mindset of, I need new things and new energy. Um, but yeah. I think there are ways to get that. I also am curious, you know, you talk a lot about the category and creating something that doesn't really exist. There's a lot of education that has to go into that. And then making sure that people are educated enough to go and move the product off of those shelves in those 11,000 stores. How are you yeah. guys approaching that? <laughs> It's an ever evolving approach. 
So the best thing I ever did was hire an incredible SVP of marketing. (laughs) And uh, so we hired her in February of this year. And she, within six months, stood up such an incredible team and built out a really wonderful and practical strategy for building what we call mental availability. It's like, what is the product? When do I use it? Where can I find it? Etc. And I think it's all about tried and true tactics, right? Like at the end of the day, we're still marketing to humans and they still behave in similar ways that they have for hundreds of years, even thousands of years. Our evolution is really slow. I think what's changed is how we reach them, but not what we say when we do, how we interact when we do. And so, you know, have built out a really great marketing plan to identify who is that core consumer? What is that? What does that person look like? Where are they? What are they consuming from a media perspective? And then what messaging resonates with them once we deliver it in a contextually relevant way on any given platform that they might be using? That's been our approach. It's a lot easier said than done. Of course, of course. And it's just like, it's just always evolving. But I think using it's amazing that harnessing creativity in content and messaging is really powerful and using common sense when it comes to spending resources in marketing. Like those are like two of the biggest takeaways I've learned in the journey of trying to get the product off the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> And how important is all the data you're collecting along the way as you go to try to get into new retail outlets and build the business? Data is so important. I would say the way we think about leveraging data is we use gut and intuition to inform hypotheses and then we confirm with the data. Because sometimes we're not... I mean, we're not always right, obviously. But I think like... When you lead with data first and then intuition second, I think you can trip up yeah. quite a bit because if the data is not clean or yeah. the way you're analyzing it is off, you can really be led in the wrong direction. So, like gut and intuition followed by confirmation of data, that. like trust yourself but verify with the data. That's been our approach. And you know, the world is increasingly competitive. There's a lot of resources. There's a lot of competition. There are a lot of hungry people out there who are really ambitious and smart, approaching things very differently. Technology has enabled us to leverage data in a major way. And at this point, it's like table stakes to sell a product in. Like The retailers want to see what the story is backed by data. It's not about at least from my experience, like the founder story is nice and cute. But at the end of the day, they want to make money selling your product. They want to see that you're on trend. They want to see that there's going to be natural pull and demand, or that you figured out a way to generate demand with your tactics. So hugely important to the commercialization process, I would say. Seems like it. What are your biggest challenges right now for you guys? Like, what's the thing you're like, oh, that's the one thing I don't want to deal with or tackle, or it feels like, you know, a new challenge that I haven't thought about before? Yeah, there's nothing I don't want to tackle. I'm like a theme for problem solving. Mm-hmm. Like, I like sniff out problems and then immediately go to tackle. <laughs> Probably I'm too much like that. 
but I like uncovering what the biggest barriers are and like how we're going to plow through them because that it makes me feel like we're that much closer to getting to where we're trying to go. I would say some of the more challenging things are creating a category with limited resources. Like I think that can be challenging, but I think it's also really fun. And it's so cool when we discover something that really works and then that enables us to create that category. I think building a plant while also operating it is really challenging. (laughs) So I know a lot of people have been using this sort of analogy, but it does really feel like you're building a plane while flying it. Mm -hmm. If you're building a manufacturing facility and also using it at the same time to deliver product, because if you think about CPG, like it's survive or die if you can't make the product. So we have to deliver. So it's like, if the plane doesn't fly and it's going down, like you could die, right? So it's very similar in that sense. But you, in order to keep scaling it and adding more people and producing more units, you have to keep building it while you're also operating it. So that's really tricky. It's really fun though. The more you grow, the more opportunity there is to get more effective and efficient, which has been fun. And then I just think like, people and this is pretty particular to me because it's been an area of opportunity i think just growing as a leader of people and of other leaders and what does it take what kind of mentality what kind of behavior what kind of mindset what's most effective in the workplace for building trust motivating people creating clarity and again it's not something I don't want to tackle. In fact, I really love it. And I want that to be one of my bigger focal points for the next 12 months. But it's so challenging because you don't learn it growing up. Like it's not... I don't think it's innate or inherent. You don't give people feedback in your family growing up, or at least I didn't. You're not having constructive conversations Mm -hmm. in order to like build something together when you're a little kid. So challenging, but really fun. Before we wrap up, I mean, first of all, I appreciate your generosity with your time. But before we wrap up, what advice, is there anything you want to share with founders or people who are in the early stages and sort of struggling and wondering, what did I do? How do I get through this? Like any lessons you've learned along the way that you think are just super true and compelling? Yeah, I guess maybe advice to early founders is manage your mindset. It's really important you know, what you think is in your control. And always know that another big piece of advice is only focus on what you can control. Yeah, and not That's what a really good one. Yeah. Because again, you know, when I think about time management, energy management, which is so important to building a successful business is how and where you spend your time and energy. Like you are light years ahead if you just focus on what you can control. But discerning between what you can and can't sometimes can be challenging. But I would say that's a huge piece of advice. Mindset. I mean, positive mindset just has so much power. Yeah. And I think those would be the two for now. That's amazing. I mean, I think it's so obviously you have done it. And you've been through lots of ups and downs. I mean, you went through starting a company in a category that didn't exist global pandemic that could have done millions of different things to you and has to other businesses. And now coming out of it, there are all these other things that we're dealing with. So yeah, I think, I mean, it feels like to me, if you don't have a positive mindset, there's no shot, like no shot. It's already hard. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's table stakes, but it's not always obvious that that might be the thing getting in your way Mm -hmm. because no one is in your mind, right? Like I can't read what's on your mind. And we all tell stories to ourselves and those stories are so powerful. The stories we tell ourselves shape our identity. And this isn't original content, but I will share it. Stories shape our identity. Our identity shapes our actions and our actions shape results. So just be mindful of the mindset, the stories you tell yourself, the stories you tell others, because they're really powerful. They shape your identity, which informs how you think and feel and do. And that informs where you'll go. So I'll leave it with that. That's profound <laughs> and I really appreciate it. Thank you so yeah. much. I think there's so much good stuff in here. Thank you so much, Chrissy. I really appreciate it. It is so fun to chat with you. You are so warm and welcoming. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday. Wednesday.